Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come today and to just worship. God, to sing your praise, to to do the simple things like read your word and just come to church on a day that most of us would probably still like to be laying in bed and resting and getting some stuff done around the house, getting ready for this coming week. God, I just want to say thank you for being a heavenly Father who does all of the difficult things for us, whether we realize it or not. And in the midst of our calling of our relationship with you. You do not invite us to do the possible things because those are reserved for you. But you invite us to do the simple and the mundane. And just being here today, being at worship, sacrificing things that we could be doing, It's just part of those small callings that you've put on our life. Jesus, I ask that you would watch over us, that you would guide us, and that you would lead us to you. Help us to be humble and submissive in the process. Father, as we meet today, we pray for so many of our people like Henry, God, just be with him in the hospital. Lord, touch his body. Touch his heart today. Father, we pray for Ted and Inga, for Pat, for Helen. Lord, and so many others. Pray for Pastor Dan this morning. God, just touch them, work and move in their hearts and lives. And more important than the physical, we ask that you touch them spiritually. Lord, as we gather here today, I pray that you would work and move in a mighty way. God, I pray that we would not question whether or not you would do it, but Lord, that we would believe that you would do it. God, it's impossible to serve you without faith. It's impossible to worship you without faith. And God, I pray that you would help us to have faith in you this morning that you want to work and move. You want to do something great in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would be humble enough to let you do it. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come to be servants, to be followers, and more importantly, to be children of God. We love you and we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It was great to see everybody today. So far, we've been talking about Jericho. And the whole point of the story of Jericho is to just remind us that God can do the impossible. 
And in the midst of this story, um, you know, this city stands before them with walls so thick that so many people just believe that it couldn't be conquered. And even as adults, when we read this story, like, it, sh- it sounds like shenanigans. Like, you read about the people and the marching and the trumpets and the yelling, and this is one of my kids' favorite stories. So when we read, when we read this at bedtime, every time we read it, they blow their trumpets. Um, don't get worried. I'm not going to make you guys do what they do in children's church. I'm not going to call a bunch of volunteers up here and make you march around the sanctuary and blow fake trumpets and yell. I know you would all enjoy that thoroughly. But the whole point of the story is to just remind us that we serve a God who can do the impossible. That he's more than able to do the things that from our eyes look unrealistic, unpractical, unachievable, unattainable. That we serve a God who is very much in the business of doing that. And to realize and believe this morning that there's nothing in our lives that's impossible. You know, we, we, we mess that up. In our culture, we mess that up significantly. As Americans, we look at the realistic, the practical, the achievable, the sustainable, and that's what we go towards. But Scripture tells us that we serve a God who can do the impossible, that through him all things are possible. And so many times we need to remind ourselves of that and so many times that we need, we need to believe that. And you might be sitting here today and you might love Jesus and you might have asked him to forgive you your sins, but you know that deep down inside, if you were honest with yourself, it's like there's something in you that questions whether or not God can do what you read about in Scripture. There's something inside you that questions whether or not Jesus can do this great work in your life that you hear so many other people testify about, and you just wonder, can God do that in me? And the truth is, is that we have to believe that nothing is done or finished unless the Lord says that it is done or finished. We have to believe that. That nothing is immovable unless the Lord declares it immovable, and nothing is out of reach unless the Lord says that he will not allow it to be reached. That when we say we believe in Christ, that we believe in a God through whom all things are possible. And we forget that. We neglect that. Because we live in a culture where we're afraid that if we believe or if we profess or if we take part in anything that seems silly or out of the ordinary or overboard from what we might think is normal, that we'll get ridiculed and laughed at and made fun of and ostracized in the midst of it. But when you look at Scripture, it's filled full of examples of how God works in the weirdest, most unpredictable, most unusual in amazingly impossible ways. I mean, Jericho is just one example, but you look back and you look at Noah. And God says to Noah, build this giant boat that a lot of scholars believe at that point there probably had not even been a boat built at this time. And that some believe that it may not have even rained at this time. And yet Noah is declaring it's going to rain and there's going to be a flood and I'm building a boat. And he's like saying this to people. And you can imagine for 
the many, many years, and some people believe uh, over 100 years, that he did this, that he built this thing, and people laughed at him and ridiculed. It's been 100 years, hadn't rained yet. He looks at Abraham and says, leave everything and follow me. Circumcise yourself and everyone in your house. Oh yeah, along the way, let's sacrifice your son while we're at it. Things that sound ludicrous to realistic people, right? Things that most of us would never be willing to do half of these things, much less all of them in our lives. But these people, you see time and time again, the common denominator among all of them is that they were willing to do what God asked them to do, even though it seemed ridiculous and it seemed impossible. And you're called to profess faith in a God you can't see and to eat bread and drink juice to remember the sacrifice he made for you, which also seems silly. And then you look at things like Samson, don't cut your hair and you won't lose your strength. Or Gideon, send home 31,700 soldiers and only take 300 to win the battle. Or the boy David, kill Goliath with a sling and a stone. Peter, just throw your net on the other side of the boat. There's so many things in Scripture that seems unpractical and silly, but for us as believers, we have to decide in our lives how far are you willing to go to serve your God in heaven? You've got to decide that. What are you willing to endure? What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to be laughed at, ridiculed, and ostracized in the midst of your service of God? And God has always made it a habit of asking people to do ridiculous things for Him. You've got to see that in Scripture. It's always this process of doing ridiculous. He doesn't ask us to do impossible things. He almost always asks us to do ridiculous things. The impossible things are left up to Him. But He calls us to do the ridiculous things, the things that no one really wants to do. I was talking with one of our staff members this morning before church, and they were talking about how they were having to do something this past week they really did not enjoy. And we were laughing, and I said, well, that's what most of the ministry is. People see ministry a lot of times as you're put up on this pedestal, and there's a people gathered in a room, and then they look at you and you talk, and it's kind of like this awesome experience when most of the time no one's watching, you're doing really stinky things that you don't particularly enjoy. That's what serving the Lord is like. But God has always made it a habit of asking people to do ridiculous things for him. You've got to decide whether or not you're willing to do that. And what's amazing is we look at Joshua chapter 6 today. We're going to read verses 18, 8 through 16. And, and you look at this massively large group of people who are at the point in their lives where they have wandered in the wilderness for 40, some, 40 years and they're at the point in their life where they're just like, look, we're sick of being in the desert. We're willing to do whatever it takes to get out. We're willing to do whatever it takes to get to the land that you promised to our ancestors. We're ready to be there. We're ready to do what it takes. And the truth is, is as people, we have to decide if we're ready to be willing to do ridiculous things in the name of the Lord now, or are we going to have to suffer long enough in order to be ready to do it later on? 
Or will our children have to suffer as a result of us not being willing to do it so they'll be willing to do it later on? Let's read together verses 8 through 16. It says, After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout and then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord blowing their horns again. The armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp, and they followed this pattern for six days. So many things that the Lord calls us to do sounds ridiculous, and it sounds mundane, and it sounds repetitive. But eventually... The progress comes to pass. Verse 15, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Now I want you to think about how much faith it took for probably around 600,000 men to gather and do what Joshua told them the Lord was commanding them to do and to march around and do this six days and then seven times on the seventh day and blow the horns and not speak and then all of a sudden, whenever they're told to shout, to shout and believe that God was going to do what he said that he was going to do. Because it doesn't sound realistic or practical, does it? I don't know about y'all. I value life. If one of you came to me and said, hey, I got this battle plan, this is what we're going to do, I probably would not follow you. But the people of Israel were at a point in their existence where they realized their mothers and fathers had failed and they were ready to do whatever it took to stop the wandering in the desert. And most of us as believers are probably at that stage in our life where we've just like, we say we believe in Jesus, we want a relationship with him, we understand his laws, we understand mostly what he wants from us, but yet there's not a total surrender. And so we find ourselves just kind of wandering through life, wanting to serve God, wanting to live for him, but not truly being surrendered, not truly being in step with God. And so we just find ourselves wandering just, Wandering around thinking, what's next? What are we going to do? When am I ever going to get to see God move and work powerfully in my life or in my family or in this situation that I've been praying for for the past humpteen years? We've got to get to a point in our life where we're ready to just do what God is asking us to do. 
Let's jump to verse 20. We're going to read 20 and 21. So when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Point number one. We must be obedient. We lose sight of the simple aspect that God just wants us to do what He's asking us to do. We make Christianity, we make faith in God so difficult because we try to find books and we try to find Bible studies and we try to have this ministry and that ministry and do this thing and do that thing and try to figure out a way that we can grow and you go to all these conferences and you hear what these churches are doing to try to grow their church. And when you really look at Scripture, what you find is that most of the people that you read about in Scripture who are of any significance at all were simply obedient and did what God asked them to do. When you read this story today, this is a story of people who were finally willing to just do what God was asking them to do, no matter how ridiculous it sounded. They were willing to do it. They were ready. One of the most fascinating things about Noah, when you look at Scripture, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, when you look at Scripture, verses one through, or chapters 1 through 5 of Genesis <coughs> are just this kind of account of creation of what God did for Adam and Eve, and then basically this just kind of like deterioration. And all of a sudden in chapter 6 you reach Noah, and Noah's the first person we see where God really calls him and says, hey Noah, this is what I want from you. And in the midst of that, in like two chapters, you see this statement written several times. I think it's like four or five times that Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. The first person that God said, hey, I'm about to do something huge and amazing. I'm restarting this thing because it's that messed up. And I want you to build a boat. I'm going to use you and your family and we're going to start over. And Noah was willing to do everything exactly as God commanded. We cannot neglect the importance of obedience in our life. Look at me this morning. You can go to church. You can read the Bible. You can pray. You can go to conferences. You can do all the things that make you look good. And everyone else from the outside might look at you and you might look like this grade A shining star of a Christian. But if you're not being obedient to the Lord in your life, you are living in sin. And you will never experience the power of God moving and working in your life. And you will never get to see God do the amazing things. Or if you do, you will see it from a distance or you will hear about it from other people. Until we are obedient, we will not experience the power of God working and moving in our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, this is a verse when God rejects Saul because Saul went in and he conquered this king and he was supposed to do everything that the people of, uh, of Israel were doing to Jericho. You kill everybody, you kill everything, you destroy it all. 
And Samuel goes in and he spares King Agog's life. And he spares the same. Look at what it says. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. You need to understand today that your obedience, especially when no one's watching, especially when you think no one else sees or knows what you're doing, your obedience to God during those times are so much more important than your Sunday attendance, than your tithes and offerings, than all the scripture reading and all the prayer and everything else that you can throw on top of it and do. Your obedience to God, especially when no one watching, is the most important thing that you can do. And you need the power of God to help you do that. You need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so you will be able to do that because that's not an easy task. And a lot of things that God asks us to do are not easy. And they may seem harsh and they may seem rude and they may seem wrong. That's one of the things about it. Like you hear about all these people who have a problem with like following God or following Christ because when you begin to read scripture, there are things that sound hard or difficult or you can't understand them or they don't seem very God-like for how we like portray God to sound. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for the Israelites to walk into Jericho and to begin killing everybody? Men, women, old people, young people, babies, and then all the animals. Nothing was to be left alive. And as people, we sit here and we're just like, there might be some of us who like, okay, I love Jesus, I love God. But even just hearing that and realize, maybe you realize that for the first time, that God called the people of Israel to go in and completely kill everybody. And you say, okay, that's hard for me to understand. That's hard for me to swallow. But let me take you to just our history. Let's talk about U.S. history. Let's talk about some of the wars in the U.S. How about... How do you feel about our soldiers who are fighting in wars that were told by our officials to go and to accomplish these tasks? And in the midst of it, there are women and children and babies used in the midst of warfare to kill our soldiers. And our soldiers have had in the past to kill women and children and babies in order to save themselves and their fellow soldiers. And when you look at, and that still might be hard for you to understand, but in the midst of that, most of us can say, okay, that's kind of understandable and that's that's a little rational. We have got to get to a point in our relationship with God where we stop questioning Him about every little thing. Because if you want to question God, you're the equivalent of a dog who has just discovered that you've had a tail And now you're chasing it and you'll never catch it and you'll be chasing it for the rest of your life. 
because you'll never be able to understand God. You'll never be able to understand his mindset. You'll never be able to understand his power, his authority, his, his, his vision, his vision, not just for the moment that you're in, but his vision for what is to come in the future, not just for decades from now, not just for centuries from now, but for millennia from now, that God is working and moving in everything and bringing about his purpose and his will throughout eternity. And while God may reveal certain things to us throughout time and throughout maturity in our relationship with him, we will never truly understand everything. And I want you to just think this morning, okay, thank God that, that God is not calling us to go out and, and conquer this town and kill men and women and children. So hopefully none of us will have to do that. Okay? You glad about that this morning? If not, you're not normal. You need help. But I bet you it was very difficult for the people of Israel, considering that most of them were probably normal, to go in and do what God had just asked them to do. It's difficult. There are things in your life that God is calling you to do as individuals. He's calling us to do as a church. He's calling us to do as a kingdom across the world that are difficult. And it doesn't make sense. And you can't rationalize it. You can't justify it. The only thing that we can do is to be obedient and simply do what God has called us to do. And trust in Him to work out the details. And you have to understand this morning <clears throat> that when you talk about and you think about standing before God in judgment one day, the things that God is asking you to do in this life which in our culture right now, about the worst thing that could happen to you was to be canceled for maybe something you would say or do or believe in Christ. Make no mistake about it, you will be standing beside someone one day who was walking through the walls of Jericho as they came crumbling down, and God called them to go have to kill and take the life of men and women and children and animals and everything else. And there are many people in this world who have given up their own life in the name of Christ. People have done far more difficult things than you and I are being called to do, and yet they did it. And so if you sit here and say, well, God, I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want to be canceled. I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want my friends to abandon me. I don't want to mess this relationship up. You need to understand that there are people in this world who have given up far more in the name of Christ than what you and I may ever be called to give up. And there will be no excuse for not being obedient to him. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says, Solomon writes, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There will be things inside your heart and inside your mind where the way that you've been raised by your parents, the way that you've been affected by our culture, there will be things that just, this seems wrong. This doesn't seem right. I don't know how I feel about this. And those are the times where we have to be willing to surrender and abandon ourselves and begin to say, God, I don't get this. I don't understand it. This, this just doesn't feel right. And you pray and you seek God's face and you humble yourself and you pursue him and you let him guide you in this life. Because as people, if we're not careful, 
will screw up. And you may not be living in sin where you're out hitting bars and, and hooking up with people and doing drugs and robbing banks and murdering and raping people. You might not be doing all that other stuff, but you're living your life constantly in disobedience to the Lord. And when you stand before him in judgment day, you'll all go to the same place. I will go to the same place if I'm living in disobedience. I could stand up here and preach every single Sunday. And you might all think that I'm the most wonderful Christian you've ever seen in your life. Probably not. But if you do, I'm just telling you, if I'm living in disobedience and I'm living in sin and you don't know about it, it doesn't matter. God sees it and he knows. And the sin is there, whether it looks like sin to the world or not, the sin is there in God's eyes. And we'll all give an account for it. Point number two. We must be expectant. We've got to be expectant. We have to believe. You know, we talked about this. It's impossible to serve God without faith. You cannot serve God without faith. You cannot serve God without expecting Him to do the things that He said He's going to do, without expecting Him to keep the promises that He has made, both to generations and past and even today. Through Christ. We will never be able to serve God without expecting Him to hold up His end of the deal because you will never think that it's worth it. And that's where most American Christians probably sit. You think about it. Most American Christians get up, and we might be guilty of this. I know sometimes I am. And we go to church and about the most we expect from church is to have a good service and then go home and get ready for the rest of the week. It's like as long as service is good, music's pretty good, sermon's pretty good, I had a good time, got to talk to some people, got to wave at some people from across the room. As long as that happened, it's about all we expected and we go home, we do it all over again next week. Tell me that's not the equivalent of what most of us is expected walking in this room this morning. Most of us did not walk through those doors expecting God to work and move in a powerful way. We did not expect God to speak to our hearts, to change our lives, to, for some kind of miracle to happen, for someone to be healed. We did not expect any of that as we walked in this door this morning. And as, as believers in Christ, in America, we mess up so many times because we just live and we just think, well, God did that back in the Old Testament. God did that when Jesus, you know, Jesus did that in the New Testament church. And guys, I'm telling you, the issue is not whether or not God can still do it or not. The issue is not, well, God did that for a specific time in a specific place or anything like that. No, no, no. The issue is we just simply do not expect it to happen. We do not have enough faith to see God work and move in a powerful, amazing, unexplainable way. Because if you talk to missionaries from around the world, you'll hear them reporting of God healing sick people, doing absolutely amazing things that we've never seen, that we've only heard of from afar. 
<laughs> and like I said earlier, you're not being obedient to God. You're not expecting him to do anything. At best, you're going to hear about what God is doing from afar. You might get to see it a little bit from a distance, but you're going to hear more about what God is doing from afar. When you hear the stories of missionaries from people, and it's not just a matter of, oh, God did this in the Old Testament. Oh, God did this when Jesus was here in the, in the New Testament church. And then all of a sudden God stopped moving. It's like, no, there's been revivals. There's been amazing things. There's been people who have been saved, raised back to life, like been healed. Like all these amazing things have happened all throughout the years. But the difference is, is that it happened with people who absolutely believe and expected it to happen. When you read the stories about revivals taking place from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago, when you read all those stories, nothing crazy is done. What usually happens is that there's a few people who get together and they begin to pray that God would work and move, and they don't stop praying until God finally works and moves. And typically, revival begins when groups of... And it's not pastors. It's just people. It's just normal people who believe that, that there's something more to Christianity than what they've seen or experienced. And so they begin to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for God to work and move and do something great. And they begin to pray, and they don't stop praying because they fully expect God to work and move, so they keep at it until He does. We've got to be expectant. I told you earlier, the Battle of Jericho... I don't know how willing as a person I would have been to start marching around those walls, blowing a trumpet and yelling. But those people were fully expectant for God to fulfill his promise. They were ready. And you and I have to get to a point in our life. Are we going to expect God to do stuff because he said he would do it? Or are we just going to get to the point where we're suffering so much from disobedience and not expecting to the point where we're finally willing to do anything in order to get out of the wondering of where we are. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. James writes, but when you ask him, that's talking when you ask God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now here's the sad part about it. James is writing to Christians who are immature and they're asking God for stuff and they're expecting God to do it, but they're just kind of in this like they're struggling. They're being tossed back and forth by desires of the world and things like that. We're in much worse shape because we're probably more of this culture of, it's like, we don't even expect anything to happen. We show up to church and we're just like, and it's not even necessarily maybe we don't expect it. We don't even want it to happen. Like we would be scared. Man, I would hate for anybody to do anything that would make the service last any longer than it should because I'm ready to go home and eat. Are we ready to go do what we're going to do for the rest of the day? Because James is writing to people who are asking for stuff and, and like they're expecting it, but he's saying, look, if you're wavering back and forth and you don't have the faith and you don't trust solely in God to do this, you shouldn't expect anything to happen. 
How much worse is it for a group of people who say they believe in God and then don't expect God to do anything? It's a bad place to be in. You cannot claim to have faith in God and not expect Him to work and move and to be powerful and do all the things He said He was going to do. It is impossible to please God and to serve Him without faith. Point number three. We got to give credit to God. We miss this so much because there are things in our life that we as people, we can do. Like, we can accomplish a lot. You can accomplish a lot in life. You can work hard. You can sacrifice. You can do things. You can invest. There's so much that we can do as people, but we have to be very careful to understand that God is in everything. He's not only in everything that you're doing, but he's also in everything that you're not doing and that you're not touching and that you're not affecting at all. And God is working and moving all of existence in these great and amazing ways that you and I could never think or imagine. And when you look at this story and you consider the fact that all these people marched around Jericho, and I don't know exactly how they did it or what they expected to happen, or anything like that. But they did everything that God told them to do. And then they all stopped, and they yelled, and the walls came tumbling down. You know the song? And the walls came tumbling down. But what's amazing in the midst of this is that while the people did their part, they were just simply obedient, God is working and moving in everything. Because you got to remember that Rahab's house was built into the wall. She lived inside the walls of Jericho. And how significant is it that while the walls came tumbling down, that God was able in the midst of this to sustain the por- at least the portion of wall where she lived so that the spies could fulfill the promises that they made. You remember how last week we talked about how God expects us to keep our promise? And he wants us to keep our promise? How cool is it that God facilitated the ability for the spies to be able to keep their promise? In Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. All right? Of all the battle plans and of everything that was going on and all the people that were being killed and all the animals that were being killed, it was important enough for God to sustain this woman's home. Because remember, she had to be in her home. And everybody in her family who wanted to be spared had to be in her home with her. And she had to have the scarlet rope hanging out of the window that they let the spies down with to identify that this was her home. She had to fulfill every part of the promise. She had to do all her part exactly the way that she was told. And if she did, then the people of Israel would keep their promise too. And God sustained her home. And then even Joshua looked at them and said, keep your promise Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. Then the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And we serve a God who's not only able 
to just like work and move in this whole situation where there's a battle and an entire city is collapsing in on itself and everybody in it are being killed and slaughtered, but also for God to have this understanding in the back of his mind, I'm going to use this woman. Like she may have been a prostitute. She may not have been respected and viewed as valuable or had this, this great opinion from everybody in Jericho, but she's going to marry somebody from Israel. And from her is going to come King David, who will eventually come the Messiah. And guys, you and I, we're just trying to make it the best we can in this life. We're just trying to make sure that at best, we're alive, we're living, we have food, clothing, water. Our kids have what they need. Our grandkids have what they need. If you're lucky, you might get to see your great-grandkids, maybe your great-great-grandkids. But there's so little impact that you and I get to have on what is around us and what's being done. And yet while God is doing this and he's orchestrating 600,000 men marching around, blowing trumpets like a marching band from the high school, like a bunch of juvenile delinquents yelling outside a city and brings an entire city down. He spares the portion of the wall where she's living and uses this woman that she's been promised that they would spare her because she was faithful and she hid the spies and didn't give them up. He's going to use her to be the great, great grandmother of King David. Only God can do that. And so while, yeah, there might be things in this life that you, you're, you might be killing it in certain things, give God the credit where credit's due. Don't be blinded by the fact of how hard you work or how much you've sacrificed or anything like that because the truth is if the dice had just fell on one other number, if the coin had just flipped on the other side at any given moment in time, you and I might not even be here. You and I may have a totally different fate of our life today just from one situation, one circumstance, one moment in time where if it would have happened differently, you and I might be completely different today. You got to give God credit where credit is due because God is not just working out your life. He's working out the entire existence of all of creation, not only in this moment for decades, for centuries, not for thousands of years, but for, millenn- I mean, for all of eternity. God is working all this out and we have to be able to give credit where credit is due. Everything that God has done all throughout Scripture has been unlikely. It's all been impossible, unpractical, however you want to label it. Everything that God has done throughout all of time has been like that. You have to make a decision in your life of how willing you are to be obedient, to be a part of the impractical to subject yourself to the laughter, the, the comments, the rejection. You've got to be willing to acknowledge where you are and what you're willing to do in the name of Christ. And only through obedience are you going to be able to serve Him. There's nothing you can give, nothing you can sacrifice. I mean, if you're just willingly being disobedient to the Lord, that's sin. We've got to be obedient. You've got to be expectant. You've got to trust and believe that God is going to hold up his end of the deal. 
If you don't think God's going to do his part, why in the world would you do yours? But you need to believe that God can and will do everything that he said he would do. You've got to be able to give God the credit and honor and the glory. Yeah, there's some pretty amazing people out there. You might be one of them, but you better make sure that you're giving God the credit and honor and glory in your life and in all those things. And whenever people compliment you and they, they whatever it is they do, all the credit they try to give you, you say, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for helping me. Thank the Lord for letting me be able and healthy enough to have the mind to be able to do it. Whatever it is that you can do to point it back to God, you give him the credit and honor and glory. Because I guarantee you, if you're willing to give God the credit and honor and glory, you'll be amazed at how many more things he sends your way so that you can continue to glorify and honor him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for another opportunity to just do the simple. Thank you for letting us come together today and to be in your house and to worship, to pray, to sing. God, thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place and we go to our homes, we live out the rest of this week, that, God, we would be committed to you even behind closed doors when no one's watching, that we would believe and expect that if we are faithful, if we are obedient, that God, you will work and move in our lives. And even if you don't do it in our lifetime, that you will work and move and do great things in our children and in our grandchildren's. Lord, help us to believe that you are faithful, not only now, but even in the generations to come. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.